0: Now, as you can imagine, safety is a big concern of ours, so we're going to insist that you uh, buckle up your safety belt securely. You'll be glad you did.
1: Uh Chris, can you grab my blacklist, Paul?
2: The things we like are the things we do.
3: Lucky life insurance!
0: Will the owner of a red and black land speeder vehicle ID THX1138 please return to your craft? You are parked in a no hover area.
1: Hey, hey, hey! Over here, bud! Over here! My name is Artemis, and I'm here to tell you that it's time for W, w Radio. Your-
4: Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 111 for the week of March 22nd, 2009. Thank you for tuning in once again. This week, we're going to take a ride in my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine and look at Disney's Polynesian Resort through the years and into the future. Steve Seifert and I will turn back the clock to a time before Walt Disney World was even a vision in Walt's mind and look at how his personal interests influenced what would become the model for themed resorts that would follow. We'll look at the Polynesian village through the years and explore some of its additions, changes, and lost experiences. We'll also talk about the resort today and speculate as to what the future may hold. Stay tuned to the end of the show where I'll play more of your voicemails. So sit back relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. This week, I wanted to dust off the old Wayback Machine and try something a little bit different. And rather than taking a single step back in time... And looking at a location or the parks as a whole, I instead wanted to pick a single place and try and take a number of trips back through its history, from its beginnings to today and maybe even a peek into the future. And many of you sent or called in great feedback about the Lost Resorts of the Magic Kingdom segment I did a few weeks ago, and many of you were fascinated by the history and what almost was. So I thought we would maybe hang around the lagoon a little bit longer and take a look at some of the early origins of a hotel that really helped to define what a theme resort would be for generations of guests to come, and that's Disney's Polynesian Village Resort. And when you say Polynesian, one name probably comes to mind. Don Ho. But since Mr. Ho is not available, I got the next best thing and he is Steve Seifert, known as the Tiki Man. He runs the definitive Polynesian website called Tiki Man's Unofficial Polynesian Resort Pages website. So, Steve, <laughs> welcome back to the show, buddy. How you doing, Lou? Did you like how I called it Polynesian Village? Given you know that's good stuff. Credit back to the to the old days. It is. I'm an old school Polynesian guy. Um, that's where we stayed back in the you know 71, 72, and when we first started going. So
5: that was the place to be.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I have I've relatively fond memories since I was about three or four at the time. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, it, I wanted to have you back because we had a great time. We talked about the Polynesian at length way, way back when, when the show first started. But this time we wanted right. to look at it really not from a trip planning aspect, but really more from a historical perspective and start out not just pre Polynesian village resort but pre-Walt Disney World and even pre-Disneyland because we want to look back at Walt Disney himself and his travels and how they lead to you know kind of what we see today not just in the resort but in the parks as well.
5: Yeah absolutely I mean the, the best thing about the Polynesian is it hasn't changed much over the years other than becoming more current but the important part is, is it kind of has the soul of what Walt wanted originally and there's not too many resorts there that you can say really Walt got his hands on.
4: Exactly and, and it's I think a lot of people don't realize because when we talk about Walt Disney World you know people from Disneyland say well this is where Walt walked and, and true unfortunately Walt didn't get to see his dream come true but he did have very much a hand in it and the Polynesian particularly had much more of a personal connection to Walt because of things he was doing literally decades before.
5: Yeah, absolutely. He um, he had such a fascination with Hawaii, and it, for me, it was what brought that brought on that fascination. That's what I wanted to find out, and what kind of made him have such an important role in the ideas for the Polynesian, and and why it was so important for him to have that themed resort at Disney World, where he basically had a blank slate to start with whatever he wanted.
4: Exactly, and and talk about how you know trips that, like I said, started back in the '30s for Walt, ended up not just influencing. We know an attraction in Walt Disney World and Disneyland, but obviously how, how that carried over, um, and his original intent carried over to the Polynesian.
5: Yeah, if you dial your Wayback Machine back to uh, 1934, you would end up, in a, if you were in Oahu, you would see a very different island than it is today. Less crowded, people had to take boats to get there. The the main hotel was the um, Royal Hawaiian um, it was kind of the spot for celebrities, and, uh, and his first trip was in, uh, on August tenth, nineteen uh, 1934. Him and his wife uh, took a boat over to Oahu, and that was kind of them getting their first taste of the islands. And that from that, then on, he was kind of hooked to the whole relaxed and tropical feel of um, having a vacation. For him, that was a vacation.
4: Right, and we know the story about um, how some of that and some of his ideas for what would eventually become the Enchanted Tiki Room came from not just his fascination with audio animatronics, but the fact that he wanted it to be a restaurant. That, too, came from his own personal experiences in Hawaii, in some of these islands, visiting a lot of the the old-time supper clubs.
5: Yeah, he was, um, I think... I, I never did find out if it was something that he attended um, before his trips to Hawaii, but I think the supper clubs were kind of big in the uh, 40s and 50s, and it was something that he had spent a lot of time going to, and he was – after, after the, the experiences he had at the different Polynesian supper clubs, he just had it stuck in his head that he was going to make – the best Polynesian Supper Club that there was. And the project uh, started to evolve and get designed. It was going to be 225 robotic performers by a 14-channel magnetic tape feeding 100 separate speakers and controlling 438 separate actions. Um, This eventually became the Tiki Room attraction because to try and design it into a restaurant with all the mechanisms and and, well everything you see in the Tiki Room and have room for you know a kitchen and tables and and a bar it was just going to be too much in one place so all of those ideas instead of getting thrown away ended up transforming into what we see as the Tiki Room now.
4: Yeah and if you actually go out to Disneyland and look at the difference in the way it's laid out versus the Walt Disney World version you can almost get the sense of seeing how it would have been Initially designed as a restaurant, uh, and I think that I think the really cool thing too that as we talk about Walt and his influence and his love and his passion for this, how we're sort of coming full circle now with Disney building a vacation club resort in Hawaii.
5: Oh, that's true. Yeah, now they're for the first time you're going to have Disney um, in the, in the state of uh, Hawaii on Oahu on the west shore, and that'll be. It, very interesting to see how that turns out. I think it's a good way to continue on the the tradition of the the kind of the Hawaiian theme as part of Disney.
4: More importantly, Steve, this is screaming research trip for you and I. So.
5: <laughs> oh, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tiki Fest 2011 will be. In right. water. <laughs> oh, see, I like how
4: you think. I like how you think. I will be there. I'm RSVPing now.
5: <laughs> so. so yeah, well, I'm halfway there compared to you. So. Uh. I'm, I'll, I'll meet you there.
4: That, you know, while it's easier now, it's a, it's a plane ride for me. It was a boat ride for Walt. So, uh. <laughs>
5: that, that's right. I mean, it took him uh, five or six days to to get there. So you obviously have to love the place to be able to to take on that with not a whole lot to see in between. True. But the, uh, you know, the the best part about this love and fascination that he had that transformed into the tiki room and. And I think that there used to even be—I remember a um, a restaurant that was next to the Tiki Room that had um, kind of the luau dancers and and Polynesian food. That's uh, no longer a restaurant, but but still there is kind of an empty spot in Disneyland. But um, a lot of those ideas, when he then started thinking about what he wanted in in Disney World, um, they started drawing up um, cart. Uh, they even had some of the cartoonists, with a Mark Davis. Yeah, had done some of the uh, cartoons uh, that became the tiki's um, that are used in the tiki room. And if you look at a lot of the tiki's that are in the tiki room and around the outside of the tiki room, it's the same ones that you'll find um, at the Polynesian. So a lot of that has – that that whole flavor is kind of what started the feel for the Polynesian Resort or right. the Polynesian Village Resort. Thank you very much.
4: <laughs> yeah, and, and Rolly Crump, again, legendary Imagineer, also had a hand in, in helping to design a lot of these things. Uh, That's right. Not just bringing in, you know, their visions, but that—that, that, I mean, we got to remember. I mean, this is obviously before my time, but back in the fifties and the sixties, there was this tiki craze. I mean, there was a huge pop culture phenomenon. But you can definitely <laughs> sense, if you if you know or are familiar with Roly's work, you can sense his and Mark Davis's designs that and ended up coming into Disney World's Polynesian.
5: That's very true. Uh, and and the interesting part is a lot of this. Um, connection with Hawaii for Walt, uh, there's very little of it is written in Disney books or Disney history books, but there's uh, qu- quite a bit of it I've found in books about Tiki and the Tiki culture. And and it's it's funny that it's kind of been left out of the, the Disney history as much as it's had such a role in now the rides and, and a resort.
4: True. And and one thing, too, and we know this with everything that Disney does, is the level of authenticity that they wanted to get, even early on, you know, early on was very, very important to them to get that authentic look and feel and everything they did from the layout to the longhouses to the signage around the resort as well.
5: Yeah, it, it's um, it's funny that you hear a lot that people think it's. Um It is kind of Tiki Bar or 70s, but if you really look, they paid. I mean, just like with everything Disney does, they research and they pay attention to the details. And while people might not think it's authentic, a lot of the stuff around there really is – not only looks the way that uh, it represents something from an island, but – Uh, like you say, the signs and the tikis um, that were originally at the Polynesian were carved by um, Oceanic Arts here in California, which are still famous. I mean, they're still open and they're famous for doing tikis. They're one of the last places that has survived uh, the kind of the death of the tiki craze. And and now it's kind of coming back to life, but they're still around and, and they do it the the authentic way. They don't just mass produce these, these tikis and they made all, all the signs were all hand carved and the tikis were all hand carved for the Polynesian. So it was very authentic.
4: And if you think about what the original concept was going to be for the Polynesian, remember it wasn't going to look the way it does now. (laughs) It was this 12 story. I mean, it was a high rise, you know, very relatively modern, I mean the modern shaped building um, sort of with a, a large slope and an angle down the side They must have this epiphany and realize that 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 is not the way to do it. They have this now central ceremonial house and then the long houses around it, which I think we both agree probably works a little bit better.
5: Yeah, I think uh, that it's interesting how drastically it changed. Um, It was going to kind of have the almost like a um, representing what you would see in a modern day resort in Hawaii at that time, which would have been kind of more of a modern, larger uh, building with surrounded by some huts that were maybe more exclusive rooms out along the beach area, and it, it's it's interesting that that idea just kind of went by the wayside, and, and it turned into what it was. Which I think in a way it, it probably ended up better. I don't know that the original theme would have held up as well uh, throughout the years as what they ended up doing for the Polynesian when they when they built it.
4: Right. Well, when we talk to about the story of Walt Disney World and the story how it's it's brought into everything in, in the Magic Kingdom, I think part of it too was the new design that they ended up going with is more of a coupling of the theme between the resort and near you know Adventureland, which is off in the distance but geographically close to where the Polynesian is, much as the contemporary reflects Tomorrowland the Grand Floridian uh, reflects Victorian-era Main Street, USA.
5: <clears throat> right. Um, well, of course, if they would have built the Asian there, that would have really thrown off the theme altogether. But <laughs> 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 but yeah, um, that, that's one of the things that I think I really enjoy about the Polynesian is it gives me that Adventureland feeling, mm-hmm. um, whether or not people think that's – you know, too cartoonish and not representative of, of of a true Polynesian resort. I think it has a great mix of both. I think it has that little bit of a Disney flavor, but a lot of authenticity to um, you know the buildings and the structures that are there.
4: And I think you know, and off the top of my head, I can't think of any other resort on property where you walk through those doors and you feel as though you no longer in. Okay, maybe Wilderness Lodge, but you are no longer in. <laughs> You know, central Florida, but you are, you know, you're not on the mainland. You are now on some tropical island somewhere else. And you even get that feel as you walk the grounds.
5: You know, you you even I can remember. I still remember the first time that I was there and I'd taken the monorail around and I was, you know, as a kid, the contemporary was just amazing. It was something I always wanted to stay in. But I remember coming back. We we're either going to the park or coming back and stopping and picking up passengers from the Polynesian and then the doors opened up. And even from that distance, with with the palm trees out around the, the monorail and looking into the lobby from even from the monorail, it really did have a a different feel, almost like you weren't you, you were somewhere else. And and I think that's really a big part of it for people. They're not just pulling up to a hotel where you see the outside of a building. You just really feel engulfed in the theme.
4: And Steve, you back me up on this one. I've I've talked about this before. You know, it's there's like a smell. You know, there's a smell when you walk into the Polynesian, and maybe it's because of the waterfalls outside. But it's it's part of that immersive experience, like you said, that you're hit with the second you you walk up to it, not even before you walk in through the doors.
5: There is absolutely. Um, some people say they don't like it. Some people, uh, they they love it. Um, it's it is. It's that atrium. It's that water. It's that. Well, I, I was gonna say humid, but I guess all of Florida's humid. <laughs> but this is a good But it, it, it really is, and you know, it's amazing. I can come home, and and my bag will still smell like it, and and, and you know, I'll just have to kind of keep it out, so I feel like I'm at the Polynesian <laughs> for another week. But um, yeah, the, there really is a, a distinctive smell, especially to the lobby, and and it really is. It's all the it's it's the 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 plants that fill the atrium, and it's and it's the waterfalls out front that kind of all come together and and give you that that smell that distinctive polynesian smell
4: <laughs> see thank you i know i knew i wasn't crazy so
5: but um, well i didn't say you were crazy weren't crazy but well it's not you about on
4: this. right yeah. so all right let's um let's let's fast forward the machine just a little bit because uh, let's go to october 1st 71 the polynesian and the contemporary are the only two resorts that open and i say simultaneously in quotation marks because technically one opened before the other. And uh, there's an interesting story too behind the that a first official day of opening of the Polynesian.
5: That's right. And you, and, and you can help me out with that a little bit. Um, it uh, was originally planned for the contemporary, which I, that, that was supposed to be the flagship resort of the, of the two opening, um, was supposed to open ahead of time and, and, the, and the press was supposed to stay there. But because of um, delays in setting up the rooms, um, which we all know now were originally kind of plugged into place um, with all the uh, fixtures and carpet and pipe, everything ready to go, didn't quite uh, match up too well in the contemporary. And I guess they they must have uh, had a be- better success with uh, getting the rooms in and ready along with the rest of the resort at the Polynesian. So they kind of did a a mad switch to uh, the Polynesian to have the uh, press end up staying there the, on so it basically opened hours before the, uh, the contemporary did. Officially, it was the first one to open.: Right.
4: And, and Charlie Ridgway uh, retells a, a great story. Um, he was obviously in charge of publicity at the time, and they have all this press coming in. You know obviously, this is a huge thing, you know, the, the first theme park outside of Anaheim. the press is coming in. There's about 500 rooms at the Polynesian. Not even 100 of them are ready yet. So they decide to have the press office at the Polynesian. September 30th, it's 11 o'clock at night. He's running around, and it's a mess. I mean, there's no carpeting, no wallpaper. There's bare light bulbs. There's, you know, people sawing and hammering and doing everything else. And he has to leave because he's staying. Even Charlie has to stay off-site. He's got to stay at the Hilton (laughs) on Sand Lake Road or somewhere around there. They don't wake him up on time. So he flips. He flies out to the Polynesian, running late, expecting there to just be mass chaos. He walks in. There's beautiful chandeliers. All the wallpaper is hung. The carpet's on the floors. Phones are ringing. Everything, everybody's connected. And the newspaper guys are standing there, you know, drinking coffee, eating their pastries, looking at, <laughs> you know, Charlie saying, okay, you know, let's go. Let's get started. <laughs> What's yeah. going on? You know, it was, a, it was truly, it was a construction site four hours before. And then it was it was the flagship resort uh, it, you know at on October first
5: right yeah, and they didn't realize that the, the glue was still wet on the wallpaper, but it all <laughs> right. looked good um yeah and and I remember um hearing him talk about that, and it seemed like uh he was really amazed at how well they got everything together and uh, in in such a short time, and almost like it had been ready for weeks um and and it's interesting. That the contemporary kind of became the flagship because um at the time and 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 prior to Walt's passing when they were kind of selecting where the different resorts would go the polynesian was somewhat considered the prime i i saw a document where it was labeled the prime acreage overlooking the castle and um including four beautiful beaches so it was kind of lined up just with that perfect view right at the castle Granted, it's not as close as the Contemporary, which the Contemporary has beautiful views too, but it really just kind of set a perfect backdrop and it just set it far enough back that, like you say, it kind of feels like it's almost, especially at that time, like it was alone mm-hmm. on its own, kind of on, its, on a, a, deser- a deserted tropical island. Um, and of course, now the, the, it's been crowded out by other resorts, but uh, it must have just been an amazing sight back then when there was really not much else around it.
4: Look, we talk about location, 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 and and all these amenities and all these things that the Polynesian have. Yet, like you said, the Contemporary was the flagship resort. And you wonder, was it a combination of the fact that the Contemporary used these very modern techniques for a very modern hotel, and or the fact that maybe people weren't ready to buy into such a dramatically themed resort? Because that's not what was being built everywhere else. I mean, they were just normal hotels, the the 12-story high-rises. And here's something where it's that immersive experience that Disney is going to take a gamble and obviously revolutionize the the hotel industry by doing
5: that's true. I mean, even if you um go to uh, a lot of Hawaiian uh, hotels resorts, uh, there was very few that were themed that that well um, there were they were much more modern than than the Polynesian has ever been. Um, the nice thing is the the Polynesian has that authentic and you know, older Polynesian look, but it still has kind of the the modern amenities, and always and has always kept up on those amenities throughout the years.
4: And it's fun. I, I laugh when you say modern look, because when you look back at old pictures and you see the oranges and the browns and that very 70s look <laughs> to, yeah. to the Polynesian, but at the time it, it was it was it was modern, and it had a lot of uh, it had a lot of wonderful great amenities. I got four words for you: Trader Jack's
5: Grog Hut.
4: Is there ever been a better name for a shop in a Disney resort? <laughs> I
5: don't think they had very much grog in there though. That's the only problem.
4: <laughs> and I've been corrected to make sure that I pronounce the Papiete Bay Veranda. Tell you the you're the tiki guy. What's the prenec-
5: that, correct that's that's the capital of Tahiti, uh P-
4: <laughs> Ohana oh, is just so much easier
5: to say, isn't it? <laughs> so. Yeah. For some people, they just can't spell it.
4: Right. <laughs> So but before we move a little bit farther along to some of the changes maybe that that took place, there were some things that maybe weren't there opening day, but were there very early on that definitely bear mentioning. And first and foremost, I think a lot of us probably know about the old wave making machine off Beachcomber Isle, which is the island that you can see uh, right off the beach and people wasn't there for very long. But they actually had this this wave making machine so that people could participate and swim in the seven seas lagoon
5: that's right they um, they did try an experiment with having a wave machine that would not only uh, it, its original the original theory behind it was it would give the sound of crashing waves so kind of add that noise in the background as you you walk the beach and, and around the resort and there's theories that they were trying to make it large enough waves to surf on others I've talked to that were around then said no way no how (laughs) just (laughs) wouldn't happen um and it it didn't last very long it was actually almost some people like to theorize that it was on for a while and um it really was almost shut down immediately because it started to erode the beach um right away after it was uh put into into place and in action um they I guess they tried to revive it again in the in the later 70s I want to say 75 was it 75 trying to look at my own site for this stuff um <laughs> sometimes I gotta read it too <laughs> uh, but uh, uh again it, it they just couldn't get it set up to to work properly it, it actually would have uh, been pointed more towards uh the beach that's now um where Luau Cove is um located wow. um but, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that was something that, that just just didn't make it. Um, I guess Disney couldn't come out, up with magical sand that wouldn't erode.
4: <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, but the other thing, too, that, that always fascinated me about the Polynesian was the very unique variety of watercraft. There was the giant water, uh, the war canoe, There's this 40-foot war canoe, again, that guests could rent out, take um, onto the lagoon. Very unique. I unfortunately never had a chance to personally get into a bob-around
5: boat. <laughs> and you know, so far, I've never even seen a picture of one.
4: I've seen one picture. I, there's like one picture that floats around the internet, and, um, and it is not me in it,
5: because I never had a chance to do it. But <laughs> and and supposedly very, it had a stereo system yeah, in it, too. Yeah. I
4: mean, again, very unique. They were sort of these round, giant tubs with an umbrella on top. Um, how you steered it, I have no idea. There's very, very little information <laughs> About Bob round boats. I'd love it if a listener happened to be in one and can remember. I'd love to hear some more detail, but I think the, um, the one that was most interesting to me, and actually was a trivia question a couple weeks ago, was the Eastern Winds, which was a real oh, yes.
5: Chinese junk. Chinese junk, yep. 65 foot. Um, used to have um, uh, cocktails, cocktail lounge on it, and I even recently, at first I thought maybe they just sat there, you know, docked and people kind of enjoyed being on the boat and having cocktails. Um, But I, I had seen pictures somewhere where they actually sailed it out to um, the islands at the time.
4: Yeah. And you can, you can go out just for a cruise. You could get right. bar service. You could have food. You can make it a full – I mean you can get a full crew complement out there for – and I think the coolest thing is that is that Broadway Joe – Broadway Joe Namath actually supposedly <laughs> – I don't know if that's urban legend or not but uh, bought the Eastern Winds
5: and what he
4: did with it. Oh, that, you know, I think
5: I, – I, that's right. Off of eBay, right? no i think i did i did hear that too so i'd be interesting to see where he put it
4: and and i'd be interested to know where it is now and if maybe the current owner knows you know it's uh it's legacy as being part of the polynesian but um let's fast forward a little bit more take a couple of quick hops uh, on the wayback machine because since it's opening obviously like all the resorts it's gone through some change. It's gone through some expansion. Um, and, and I guess really the first kind of major change as far as from a guest perspective might be might be in 73 when they, like you said, when they built Luau Cove.
5: Yeah, that's true. Um, before that and for the, um, well, the official grand opening of the resort was October 24th, 1971, which is my wife's exact birthday, day and year. And no, that's not why I married yeah. her.
4: But, it helped. but they, um,
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did, it did. That was part. Of, that was on her resume. So, um, but they had they brought in dancers from. I and mean, you can actually see these on YouTube. The, the opening ceremonies. They had dancers from all the different uh, Polynesian islands, and they had a huge ceremony out on the beach. And I guess part of that lasted. They would have kind of a the luau without the dinner um, out on the beach um, at night. Because Luau Cove hadn't been constructed. So they finally said, well, let's make this a show, a dinner show, and let's have a place to put this. And so they constructed what is now Luau Cove.
4: That must have been – again, that's something I wish I could have gotten a chance to see is the authentic luau on the beach. You you have Cinderella Castle in the distance and, and that just must have been something special.
5: Yeah, even the um, the electric water pageant was designed for the opening ceremonies of the Polynesian. And to this day, you know, with um, it's evolved over the years. The soundtrack's evolved over the years. But it's still basically what was made for that opening ceremonies. Yep.
4: So let's go – let's jump forward about five <clears throat> years or so because Walt Disney World doing very, very well, obviously. First uh, of, of, I guess, two really major expansions come – to the Polynesian village.
5: Yeah, um, Tokelau, which was um, Oahu back then when it opened, Longhouse was kind of, it was unique because uh, it was not the original construction, which was um, the buildings you see, the original ones had the no balconies on the second floor and they were the original uh, slid-in rooms. Um, And when uh, Tokelau opened up in... uh, 1975 1975
4: no I'm sorry
5: 1985
4: okay is that right was yeah no 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 no. I'm sorry
5: 78 78 thank you thank you very much Um, it was kind of it it was going to be the prototype for what they would do for any further expansions the uh, rooms were they they were you know constructed in the building the hallways were larger the rooms themselves uh, were quite a bit larger um, it added on um, 144 rooms. So it was actually the largest longhouse there at the time. Uh, it unfortunately uh, removed uh, some people liked. they had a, um, a golf course, a miniature kind of a putting green um, just where the uh, East pool or the quiet pool is now. And of course that had to go away um, during that construction. Um, the And when that building was built, it had a couple of different rooms in it. They kind of did um, – experimental rooms they had some that had double sinks and they had some that had sinks outside of the uh, bathroom area and um all this was the first time they would have balconies on all the upper floors um so it was kind of their their test bed for what the future rooms would look like at the polynesian
4: right and and originally the the original rooms and longhouses didn't have the balconies because that was meant to emulate a, a traditional hawaiian longhouse is that was that the reason why
5: yeah, that's the that's the theory behind it. Um, I wonder how much that really flies. I, I think that I think that's the truth behind it uh, um, when they first designed it. Now you got to wonder why did they put the balconies on the on the third floor? Right. But uh, but I think they got smart and they decided that it was time to put balconies on all the <laughs> rooms that didn't have a patio. Right. And some other changes um, happened
4: as well. The there's there were the old names and then there were the new names. Like, for example, uh, you correct me if I'm wrong. Tonga was renamed Hawaii. Uh, Bali High was renamed Tonga. That Those name changes start taking place. They will take place over the next couple of years. Uh, quick jump, 85. They now add Tahiti and Rapa Nui. 95, we now get um, the veranda now becomes Ohana. But 96, is, is this is another sort of milestone because you get... a. a not a construction thing, but more of a facelift as it were.
5: Yeah. 96 was, um, they had in the mid to late nineties, they had a general manager, uh, Clyde Minn, that was very, he was, he was from the islands. He wanted to kind of start a whole new feel and philosophy for the resort. And it, it kind of started with purging out the remains of, the evolution of the rooms and the and the uh, great ceremonial house from its 70s and 80s look um, they kind of went with more of the earth tones they got rid of the teal and yellow tiles in the great ceremonial house and put in um, the rock that you see now on the floor Uh, the rooms got a transformation with more authentic um, patterns on the beds and the bamboo rails and uh, the the thatched cover over the over the bed, and it and it was really it was really a big change for them. Um, and like I said, it also became um, a big philosophy. They had a, a they started with a, a cultural awareness called the Magic of Polynesia. And this is something I'm recently finding out about, and I've been getting some documents on. And it's amazing that it would kind of became the model for many of the resorts. Uh, the, the Polynesian was always kind of a test bed for things. But it was this was kind of the f- introduction to this culture, that was kind of the way it was a it was a way that you were going to treat the guests and how you were going to treat each other as a co- as workers and it was just kind of that whole aloha feel to the resort and their and their staff,
4: right? And and it really it transcended just the look of the resort from maybe that seventies Brady Bunch Gregware and the tiki idol kind of look right. to a real authentic you know by, by bringing in this authentic and again. Like I said, that, that spirit of aloha, that, that sense that you get when you are welcomed into the, into the resort now carries over back from uh, the mid to late 90s. That's right. Uh, jumping forward a little bit, uh, the millennium, 2001, uh, again, there's construction that takes place because there was, a lot of, uh, there was a lot of problems with some of the original longhouse buildings.
5: Yeah, b- big changes. Um, you know, certain things were put off because, because of budgets and maybe not knowing what to do about them. Um, that started with uh, the original longhouses. Since they were modular, they had gaps below, the the especially the ground floor rooms and in between the walls. And in some cases, in some of the buildings, you'd kind of have, we talk about the smell, but it's not the good smell that we associate with the Polynesian. It's more of a kind of a musty smell. It would get into... Uh, and around the, the buildings from the trap moisture. So they decided it's time to, they wanted to gear up for a, another new renovation. But before that, they were going to kind of redo the, the original uh, longhouses. So they, they went through, they gutted the rooms, they filled it all in with cement, um, redid you know, the, the flooring and the walls and, and got them kind of back to kind of their pristine um, look and feel. Um, Even though the at that time the look hadn't really changed from what they had changed it to in the 90s But then they had bigger plans for the Millennium um, starting with the uh, the removal of the old pool um, Which kind of interestingly enough uh, originally had a a diving board that didn't last very long, (laughs) but uh, uh, many liked that pool but uh, I think most people will agree that the, the new volcano pool and slide are, are a big improvement along with the the zero entry. And then that then transformed into a uh, an increased budget for redoing almost everything you look at. A lot of people say that the Polynesian looks old, but they removed everything. They removed pieces of the roofs. They removed the wood exteriors. They – piece piece by piece and bit by bit of all those buildings and most of the grounds – in the in the new millennium were pretty much removed and replaced and and of course that led into the the design we see now in the rooms with the flat panel TVs and all the new furniture um, a lot of that furniture which was was hand done and, and shipped in from overseas um, was then transformed in the around 2005 is when they started that that look uh change to the look
4: right so you know they get the infrastructure in place they, they take care of all that then we get this update which while being more modern, I, I stayed in there a few weeks ago uh, for just one night, is you still get that authentic Hawaiian feel. Even though there's a plasma TV on the wall, um, the decor, even the <laughs> bathrooms and the entranceway, um, it, it's not a contemporary you know resort type of feel, but it's a more modern Hawaiian-style feel.
5: Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, people can go to my site and look at some of the—I um, have pictures of the, the test rooms— and um, they had some experimental doors. It's the same thing they go through with every big redesign, but it's kind of neat to see the different thoughts that they had for the different curtains and the and the different patterns and the wall textures and um, and even one year when we stayed in um, uh, the room we usually always stay in in Hawaii, they had tried uh, instead of the wallpaper that you see now they tried kind of a um, a putty textured kind of a a tan wall that was kind of I thought it was kind of a, a neat uh, change to the room but they they really took a lot of time and thought to making it like you said updated but not lose the the feel of the resort
3: mm-hmm.
5: right
4: and you even see that too in the great ceremonial house again they they sort of took out everything that was old is new again you know they brought in boutique they brought in the Wyland Gallery um, They they opened up Captain redid. Cook's
5: yeah redid Captain Cook's
4: um and and it's 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 beautiful and it's it's um it still sort of conveys that same feel that you get you don't lose anything like that it, it hasn't been they haven't gotten away from that original intent that I think like as we said started back in the the mid to late 90s
5: yeah that that's right and and um i think if anything the 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 look is is really evolving well at the resort i mean there's I don't ever really see them do a big change like that and just just stand back and cringe. I think they've always really been thoughtful and understand the history behind the resort and really come up with good ways of evolving it without it being, you know, kind of getting away from its its tradition.
4: All right, so Steve, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to put you in the in the driver's seat, and I don't let anybody just drive the wayback machine. But I'm going to put you <laughs> and I'll and I'll let you sort of fast forward a little bit and sort of ask you, what do you think? the future might hold for the Polynesian or what do you think might be coming or what is something maybe you would like to see added or changed about
5: the resort? Well, what I think is coming is probably something that we've all talked about and all heard of, and that's probably DVC. I hear as many people say no as I hear say yes. So that'll be interesting because I think they'll have to remove many of the rooms and and have less to have the dvc there so that'll be curious to see if that happens what i would like to see happen wow um (laughs) it's hard i don't like i mean i I, like i say i like the changes but i wouldn't want to see it change much Uh, a, a lot of the little things that i can think of that need to change are are just small things. And it's just me, it's just me being picky because I, I see so much of the resort kind of so up close in every last little detail that I, I can see things that if I was there in charge of things I would kind of tweak this or tweak that. But I really would hope that it never gets away from kind of the original idea for the resort.
4: All right, that's interesting. But you know what, let's talk about the more immediate future for the Polynesian, and I'm gonna lead in to talking about something that you're doing uh, this summer, actually. And uh, is this your second year doing Tiki Fest?
5: Yeah, the first year was in uh, 2007. We we finally broke down and decided we were gonna try and have a gathering <laughs> of our own. Um, you know, there, it was it was for years. People had kind of uh, that read my site have said we'd love to all get together and. Uh, while you're there and um, you know when's that going to be and can we have some kind of a gathering or, or something and uh, so we've decided that uh, we're going to do it again. Uh, this time instead of a dinner we're going to have a uh, dessert party that will be um, a, a private party for the tea Fest guests um, at the um, uh, Italy uh, the, the plaza there that's over near the water um so it'll be private viewing of illuminations and it'll be um a, a dessert party and that'll be on August sixth, uh Thursday, August sixth. <clears throat> and the nice thing is we've also got um the, the group uh the events planners at Disney that have set up these events for us have also set up um really low um rates for um the, the time around Tiki Fest. So you can kind of travel before and or after tiki fest as long as it spans that week so uh and we did that because we wanted to make it we know with the economy we wanted to have this be an affordable vacation and even be cheaper than any other deal along with paying for your your tiki fest uh party tickets if you decide to go which on a side note you don't have to go to the party to get the group rate rooms and you don't have to get the group rate rooms to go to the party it's kind of you know take take whatever you want um the, the party itself will be $55.41 um, for adults and 29 64 for kids and then kids under three are free. And there's quite an arra- arrangement of um, desserts that are going to be available along with um, some well, – of course, we had to get in our frozen pina coladas. That's just got to be part <laughs> of the theme if it's good. Tiki Fest. And um, they've got uh, Latte Kicker and uh, strawberry daiquiris, and then, of course, fruit punch, coffees, and teas, if somebody doesn't want to have an alcoholic drink. Um, and then that'll go from 8 o'clock till 9.30, and, of course, illumination starts at 9. Isn't that correct? 9 o'clock? I believe so. Yeah. So, so we'll have a little bit of time before the party to kind of mingle and, and enjoy the, the area. And, of course, during that week, there's going to be people coming and going all throughout the week and the week before and the week after. So we'll probably have some you know, small gatherings um, at the uh, Polynesian Beach or other places like we did last time. Um, and we will have uh, a giveaway like we did at the, at the Tiki Fest in 2007 where we gave away. Um, uh, I had a carved tiki that I picked up from um, someone in Florida that carves them up. Uh, we had a bunch of t-shirts from Tiki Steve's site and some tiki pens. And, of course, we had lots of stuff from this guy named Lou Mangiello. <laughs> that, that was uh that was really. That you got uh, on great. eBay
4: really cheap. <laughs>
5: yeah, right. <laughs> That's the whole bundle. um so, so we did that as a kind of a raffle and we're going to kind of do the same thing, but this time, instead of trying to cram it into the party, we're, we'll just have a night. I I think we're shooting for August 3rd, maybe we're going to try and see when the most people are going to be there. Um, Where well, we'll be out on the beach and anybody that has that bracelet um, for Tiki Fest, uh, the party will be able to come and get raffle tickets and put in for whatever prizes they want to try and win and go home with some uh, free goodies. So... You know, heck, if you win the Tiki, that, that's the cost of like four people going to the party. So you've already saved right there. Exactly.
4: And and now two things. First of all, I am planning on trying to make it down for Tiki Fest this year because I, I unfortunately couldn't go two years ago. Um, and I totally want to come and hang out and, and try and win the Tiki and those books from Lou <laughs> And And I need to be clear, people. Everybody, women and children are allowed. This is not Steve's mancation. No,
5: (laughs) no. This is not not. the
4: mancation. Everybody is invited to Tiki Fest. Um, I will put a link up in the show notes to Steve's website, which is tikiman2001.homestead.com. There you can find out all the information about Tiki Fest, as well as everything that you wanted to know and probably some things you didn't want to know about Disney's Polynesian Village Resort. Uh, Steve, as always, uh, I have such a good time doing this with you. I love sort of looking way back at uh, the old Polynesian. So thank you very much. I, I should say mahalo.
5: <laughs> yeah, mahalo to you, Len. What, I'm Len? Len? I just called you Len. <laughs> that's good. I'm not going to tiki fest. It. Oh, that's good stuff. <laughs> Sorry, Lou. <Luke. laughs>
4: That's going to do it for this week's show. I know it was a little bit shorter than usual, only because I did have to record and produce the show early as I did have to go down to Walt Disney World to uh, do some events and interviews that I'll be preparing for upcoming episodes. Definitely stay tuned for those. Quick thanks to Steve Seifert from TikiMan2001.net. Go there for everything Polynesian and also find out more about tikifest 2009 couple of other quick announcements. Don't forget about our Everest Adventurers Weekend, September 24th through the 27th, 2009. We are going to be renting out the Adventurers Club for one last hoopla and a private dinner and library show on Thursday, September 24th. For more information, you can find the link on the homepage and in the forums over at WDWRadio.com. Also on the homepage, you'll find links to both Twitter and Facebook where you can follow my instant updates Add me as a friend over on Facebook. And don't forget, there was no contest this week because last week's Walt Disney World Trivia Contest and Bonus Question goes for one more week. So go back, check out episode 110. You still have time to get your entries in for that. As always, if you like the show, please help spread the word, let others know about it. So until next time, remember no matter what the challenge is, always keep moving forward. I hope you all have a great week. Thank you again so very much for tuning in. See ya.
6: Uh, Hey, Louis, Josh. Um, I have a lot of news for you. Um, For all of you that don't know, uh, the Village Fry Shop, which is located in Fantasyland, will close for a few weeks. And it will reopen as Fryer's Nook on March 26, 2009. And it will have a big menu change. And the biggest change will be that it will sell McDonald's French fries. Um, there will be a new attraction coming to Tomorrowland, and it will be based on Stitch. It is called Stitch's Cosmic Celebration, and it will be in between the Carousel of Progress and uh, Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin, that one uh, theater there. I don't really think they use it that much, but it will be there. And uh, it will have, um, it says, new technology, scenes, dancing, improvisational comedy, and it will have characters like Stitch and Lilo and all those uh all of them and uh over at epcot a new attraction will be coming to interventions it will be called the great piggy bank adventure and it'll be an interactive exhibit it will teach kids about spending and saving money and uh financial facts and everything so i don't know what that will be like but uh just thought i'd tell everyone that didn't know so uh, thanks bye
3: Hey Lou, it's the Nicholson family. We're here at Walt Disney World. This is our last day. We're finishing up a week-long vacation. I want to just thank you for all the wonderful information that you were uh, able to share with us. You made our trip that much more special. And yes, the turkey legs do taste better over in uh, the other territory. Have a great one. Thanks. Bye.
1: Hey Louie, hi. It's Craig Duncan from the UK Disney CJD. I uh, hope you're well. Still enjoying the show as ever. I've just been listening to your podcast about D23 and uh, whether, you know, you should, you shouldn't, or whatever you should do with that, joining up or not. Uh, I think one consideration for us Brits over here is that there's an additional charge of $60 a year for postage, coupled to the fact that, you know, it's going to be more expensive for us to get over to Anaheim for the Expos and a lot of the in-part special offers that I'm sure are going to come from this that we probably won't take uh, the benefit of because we won't be over there all the time like, you know, you guys. Um, there's not many of us taking it up over here. I think maybe what they should have looked at is just maybe doing something where... Uh, I understand the postage is expensive. I know you guys post your celebrations magazine all over the world, and that does come with a cost. I completely understand that. But they should have been maybe done something where they could have reduced the membership a little bit because they know you're not going to be able to go to all of the activities and so forth. Um, I think that's just the only thing. So when you look at it, you know, it's going to cost us 140 dollars to do so. Quite a few people have done it. I think quite a few people are deciding not to. I'm still kind of sitting on the fence. I'm minded about whether to, to sign up and have it delivered to my place over in Claremont, But then it's going to be sitting there, you know, for a couple of months before I can go out and pick it up. So who knows? So I thought I'd share some thoughts. I uh, hope you're well, and uh, keep up the good work. All the best. Be safe.
3: Hi, Lewis. Mike from Massachusetts calling in again. Just listening to your uh, recent podcast about the pin trading and had to call in. Uh... My fiance and I, Jessica, collect pins. We have over 700. We actually display them in shadow boxes on our walls of our living room. Uh, And one thing that I wanted to just kind of give a tip to, um, and and I know you'll appreciate this, uh, because it has to do with food as well. When we get to the Magic Kingdom, we always go and buy a bucket of popcorn at one of the stands. And what we do with our pins that we want to keep is we'll take them back to the room. We clean out the popcorn thing after we eat all the popcorn. And we will take the pins and we will wrap them in, in toilet paper. We'll take a single pin, wrap it a couple times, put it in the bucket. It holds a ton of pins in that little popcorn bucket, keeps them safe with the toilet paper, and we put them in our carry-on bag when we go on the plane, and this way they don't get manhandled around in luggage, and it's a great way to take the pins home and you don't have to worry about them. So, just a little tip, and like I said, I'm sure you'll appreciate the uh, food reference. Uh, thanks a lot. Keep up the great work as usual.
2: Hey Lou, this is
3: Glenn from Alabama again.
2: I called you last week from the park and I'm calling again because I just got back and listened to your pen trading segment, which I, I did not do while I was down there. I was like I'm like you. I said I would never do it and I, I never I didn't. Um, now however my brother who was with us he did it and he took advantage of and this is the reason I'm calling Uh, You guys were talking about how to get started a great way, the way that my brother got started, and even my son and daughter ended up doing this. We stayed off property, so we had to pay for parking. However, uh, we were there for six days, and I believe four out of the six days, along with our parking pass, we received a coupon for a free pin. So we wound up with four free pins, which was a great way to get started because those, those pins that they gave away were probably not the most popular pins out there. They were probably the lower-level, the lower-priced ones, and, and based on the ones that we received, I, I could definitely say that's probably right. So just wanted to let uh, the listeners know that if you're staying off property or paying for parking, um, that it looks like they're giving free pins away. Uh, you just find a pen station or a pen kiosk, and they will uh, either give you a pen or uh, most of the time they let us draw from a box of pens or a bag of pens, and we kind of got one at random. But uh, that was a great way to start the pen collection. My brother got into the, the trading a little bit, and uh, my son, who was five years old, actually actually was able to get one as well, and, and my daughter. So anyway, just thought that it was interesting and didn't know if uh, you guys knew about that or
7: not. Uh, so there you go. See you later. Bye. Hi, this is Tim Stenzel. I've called before in the past. I was just calling to chime in my opinion of the D23. I've been hearing about it for a little while now and uh, read the, um, the official report and everything. I've been hearing a lot about it on the podcast. And when I first heard about it, it really wasn't all that excited. It almost sounded to me like something that we already have through podcasts and things like that until I heard Dave Smith say that they wanted to start getting some information out there uh, from the Disney Archives that has never been put out before. And me being a Disney historian geek, I really enjoyed hearing about that. Uh, The magazine sounds really interesting. I was thinking maybe what I'll do is I'll pick up the magazine just to take a look at it, see if it's something I really like. Uh, But, you know, even though I'm a Disney nut and I really love the history and everything, $75 a year is still a lot of money to come by for something like that. So as much as I I may or may not do it, I'm not really sure. It's just one of those things. I mean, my opinion is it sounds worth it, but in today's economy, $75 is a little steep. Um, I know you're getting your money's worth. The magazine is $16 in the stores, but it's still a lot of money. And I think people are choosing their battles nowadays when it comes to the economy. So anyways, I just thought I'd uh, chime in my opinion. Uh, Keep up the great work on the podcast, and I'll catch you later.
0: Bye. Hey, Lou. I love the show. This is uh, Gordon. I uh, have the Running to Disney podcast and blog at runtodisney.com. But I was listening to uh, one of your recent episodes, and you were answering a listener email, and there was a guy who was looking for a cookbook from uh, one of the food and wine expos from a few years back. And uh, you you said you'd looked all over uh, eBay and Amazon and all that. There's another... Sort of a, a lesser-known uh, book website that you may want to uh, tell your listeners about. It's sort of the Amazon for used books. It's called Abe Books, A B E Books and you just register and you can use it. And usually, I found I found books that aren't aren't very old, and I've paid more in shipping than I have for the book. You know, I, I, the book will be the one ninety nine. I'll pay three ninety five for shipping. So, so is a very good uh, site to find some sort of obscure. Sometimes out of print, very hard to find books, and uh, some of those older cookbooks and such that uh, that, that are Disney-related but you can't find, uh, you know, uh, still in print on Amazon or on eBay or something. That might be a great uh, great resource for listeners. So anyway, love the show. Keep up the great work, and it was a pleasure meeting you uh, at Disney back in January before the marathon. That was my first marathon, and uh, it, was, it was nice to meet you and, and uh, put a face to the name and, uh, and so forth. So keep up the great show. Uh, fabulous job.
7: Hey, Lou, this is Todd from Las Louisiana, otherwise known as Cajun WDW fan on the boards. Just had a quick question for you. I heard a rumor uh, today that the Hoop-dee-doo review was going to be closing. I heard it from another podcast, and I wasn't sure if you had heard this information, if this rumor was true or not, and whether or not you, uh, if you think, is any truth to that. So uh, I hope there isn't. We have it scheduled uh, under my upcoming honeymoon at the end of April, and I'm hoping that that rumor is false. So uh, any uh, light you can shed on that subject would be appreciated. Thanks. Keep up the great work with the podcast, and uh, hope to see you in May, actually, at Celebrations 20. Thanks. Bye.
6: Hey, Hello. Do you know if they're going to build any um fantasia more fantasia characters out in around the parks and would they make it are they planning on making a good fantasia ride I think that would I think a fantasia ride would be cool I'm it's hard to say this but it's it's my favorite it's my favorite movie period My my name is Bailey George I live in I live in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and I am 11 years old. Thanks, Lou.